Hi, everybody. This is Mark Steiner, and welcome to our latest podcast here from the Center for Emerging Media Studios here in Charles Village. Uh, and we're going to talk about folks who are involved in the tent city that was in front of City Hall, uh, the, what movement is building around that. We have folks who are involved in that, folks who lived in that tent city. Uh, and joining us here in our studios are Zach Swagel. I got that right? Got Zach Swagel, who's a member of the Baltimore uh, Block Collective, and Kenneth Gui, who is the SCLC president here in Baltimore and one of the main tent city organizers. Uh, joining us by phone is Samantha Smith, who's director of the tent city facility, who's joining us by phone, uh, and Jeff Singer, who's been on the show many, many times, founder of Healthcare for the Homeless and an advocate in our town. And welcome. Good to have you all here on the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. So, Samantha, you're on by phone today because uh, before we talk about the origins of this tent city, uh, well, uh, tell us what, what, why you're not here in terms of what you're waiting for. Where are you? Um, I'm actually I'm here waiting on the mayor to um, get here. Um, these are some um, things that we have to clear up as far as um, I can't really go into detail. It's kind of like a private matter. But um, I wanted to say that the organizers are actually Mr. Rob Moore and Kenny, Kenneth Gui. They, they were the people who really organized this. Um, I just came into the, you know, the front forefront when, um, you know, we needed someone to, you know, vouch for our people, speak for our people, our family, and see, everyone chose me. So, like I said, I was first. <laughs> I would like to say that they were the organizers. They were the people who funded this. They were the people who took, you know, the time to plan these things. And I, like I say, um, I have to give them that. I don't want anything other than my part that I play. I say that just to, you know, first and foremost. But um, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's, cool. That's cool. So, so let me ask Kenneth. I mean, so Kenneth Bui is, is a president of the local SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, storied organization, uh, Martin Luther King and the rest. Um, so t- what are the origins of this tent city? I mean, why did you set it up? How did it happen? How did it get organized? Um I definitely wanted to commend Samantha first. Um, she emerged as one of the leaders once we got there at, at Ten City, and she took on a great responsibility. I, I definitely have a lot of faith that she could continue to lead Ten City into the actual goals of getting people housing and jobs. Um, but to your the original question, we were inspired by Dr. Martin Luther King, and right before he passed, the launching of the Poor People's Campaign. We wanted to bring economic and social justice to the forefront. And from there, we started to look like, what would economic justice look like in Baltimore City? And one of the one of the most important issues that we would have to address is centered around homelessness. People that are sleeping on the streets, rather, is under the I-83 bridge or you know they're sleeping at the, the Inn Harbor that are looking for houses. And especially in a city where there's an abundance of properties that are been abandoned, properties that could be rehabbed, and so many opportunities for people. We needed to bring this issue to the forefront, and so we started to plan and reach out to other groups. Uh, that's how BMO Block got, in, got involved, and they have been absolutely amazing in making sure that the, the idea of a tent city actually came into fruition. Um, but we, we strategized, we talked with different people, we reached out to people who are already advocating for homelessness, and we sat down together at a table and we decided to make it happen. Hmm. So talk about your role in this then, Be More Block. You know, what basically happened was, you know, we as organizers, advocates, we put together these protocols and, and, and you know, a list of demands to operate Ten City at City Hall, you know, the racial equity benefit agreement that's been posted online. What we, what we very kind of quickly noticed was that we were not there to orchestrate or dictate, we were there to facilitate. 
And, you know, the people living on the ground there were demonstrated full autonomy in the most organized, directly democratic and loving way. And, you know, it's credit to them. And, and you know, they directly uh, uh, democratically elected Samantha as their director, if, if, uh, if you will. Um, and they've been incredible. And, you know, this wouldn't be where it's at currently without their work, as well as it wouldn't have started at all without Kenny and SCLC. So before I turn to Jeff Singer here um, for some perspective, especially because Jeff and others have been doing this kind of organizing in the city for the last 30, 40 years. Um, so I'm curious, Samantha, so what was, so talk, talk about what you all did. I mean, both of you and Kenneth, which at the city, you lived, in, you lived, you camped outside of City Hall. Yes, we erected. Right? How many were you? And where did you live? We were right. Go ahead, Samantha. Um, we uh, basically are a, piece, uh, a group. A group of people have been known each other. So some of us known each other for twenty years. Some of us have known each other um, longer than that. Like some of us watched us grow and things like that. So uh, basically, um, you know, these it consisted of fifty-four people. There were way more than fifty-four people, but we only had the capacity to hold fifty-five. So. Um, some stayed at Rum Park, some stayed um, under the I-85 bridge, um, some stayed, you know, various different places. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different array of people. People stayed all over, but when we heard about it, everybody just came out, you know, to support because it's something that we really needed to do, something that we really need to take care of. Um, we've been working closely with the mayor. She's been absolutely awesome when it, you know, came to this process. Uh, She's made everything so, you know, easy going. Um, that's really all, you know, I can say she's put our face on something that she didn't don't does not know if it's going to succeed or if it's gonna fail, but she has that much faith in us as a community, as a family, that we're gonna get it together. And, you know, I just would like to start by saying that that right there, that's a big thing for Kenneth, what do you wanna to add to that? Um, just to kind of piggyback on that, we started with thirty tents. And the, we put the call out there for people to bring housing and jobs to the forefront by sleeping out there and staying out there 24-7 until our demands were met. And what we've seen is that people that were experiencing homelessness attracted to that area. And so, unfortunately, as Samantha said, we have to turn, we have to turn people away, as in we, we didn't have the current amount of tents to, you know, to fill the, the, the demand because there are so many people out there that, that needed these types of services, and we, we try to create a, a family atmosphere, but we stayed out there 24-7. Some individuals had to take care of personal business, and, you know, they made rain day errands, um, but they came right back to the tents and made sure that they were physically there as long as possible, and, and no one left. People, even some of the organizers, we, we slept out there with them as well. Um, there's been members of the 300 organization that stayed overnight to make sure that everything went smoothly. Um, we, we, we reached out to people and people that wanted to donate brought food and, and clothes and made sure that we had everything that we needed there to make sure that we, we stayed there literally as long as possible. But So I'm going to come back to why it ended in a minute, but your, your perspective on this, Jeff. It's a wonderful mobilization and, of course, it's very important from a variety of perspectives, one of them being that we've been organizing around homelessness in Baltimore since about 1970-something or other, and with very little success in the long term in terms of 
actually changing the policies that the public and the private sectors uh, implement uh, that recreates homelessness faster than anybody is stopping it. So it's wonderful to see a new set of energy and to add to that, the democratic organization is so rare in terms of mobilizations and we just are grateful and want to support this to the extent we can. Um, I am not quite as optimistic about the city's role as uh, Samantha expressed, but you know I hope they're proven to be correct. Um, there's many, many, many examples of the city over the last 40 years promising one thing and another and then not delivering it. So as Lawrence Brown said in, in an op-ed recently, one of the greatest challenges is to monitor, to evaluate, to continue to advocate for the public and the private sector to do what needs to be done, to create the supply of affordable housing that we all need, right, instead of cutting it. The city in July cut homeless services by 13 percent without explaining it to anybody. By 13 percent. By 13 percent. And they still can't explain why they did it or what they did, right? Um, the supply of affordable housing continues to dwindle, especially in the way they've destroyed the public housing sector. They have consciously and purposely destroyed the public housing sector in, in Baltimore. We had 18,000 public housing units 30 years ago. Today, we have about 5,000 because they either let them deteriorate and torn them down or given them to for-profit companies to make money on them, laid off hundreds of good workers in union jobs, and it's a shame what's happened to public housing, but people are organizing around it. You know, Communities United is organizing the tenants there. So uh, this is just so, another good example of people organizing for justice. So here's the question I have. I mean, and I, and I, and I, I know that because the, um, the, the battle around housing, we're looking at it right now, you have this tent city. Uh, we had the news the other day about what they're doing to Perkins Homes, which may be, which may be um, trying to tear Perkins Homes down and move people out to rebuild them. Um, and you know, this, some of this kind of came to the fore when both I and, um, and you, Jeff, were part of, the, of this uh, forum that Mayor Sheila Dixon started uh, that was called, I'm by my black and white. The Journey called, Home. The Journey Home. The Journey Home to ensure that everyone had a house. There would be housing for everybody in the city. And nothing happened. It was, you know, people met, they talked, they met, they talked. So I'm curious where you all think it's going to go. I mean, this is, you know, it, this is an extension of a, a struggle that's been going on for many, many years in this city. Um, there was a Baltimore homeless union once. People like Trustin Sykes. Uh, you were part of it, Jeff. Um, Annie Chambers was part of it. That, you know, and we were, back in the early 70s, we were organizing tenants in poor housing uh, and doing rent strikes. So this stuff is not like, so this is like a continuum of a struggle. So I'm curious in the, in the, in the sense of that and where we're going, um, A, why did you stop, why, why did this tent city fold up? What was it, what was the circumstance that it fold up and where do you think it's going now? What do you, where is this movement headed, movement headed, do you think? The movement absolutely continues. Um, the, part of the reason why we left Tent City is because the people, there was a, a array of mix of people that was there. We had people that were older. We had people that were younger. We had a change of seasons going on. And so taking everything into account and the opportunity to actually do something that has been unique where the residents have control and there's community oversight, there's the opportunity for jobs and workforce development and the opportunity to actually put people in houses 
it was a a a trans a, a democratically answered way to to transition out. But with that being said, I absolutely agree with all of the sentiments and the history of Baltimore City and how the issue of homelessness has been treated. I personally take a trust but trust but verify approach, as in good old Ronald Reagan. <laughs> 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 no endorsements here, but <laughs> um, but I take a trust a trust but verify approach. As in, if the the promise was a housing first pilot, um, or if we're moving towards that, then at the end of the day, the only way that we can evaluate the success of ten cities of people are in houses, and if we can continue to duplicate it, and, and if not, if people are not in houses, if, if things if people start to fall through the cracks, then we would have to seriously reevaluate our next move. So I'm curious where you all think this goes now then. I mean, I, I know Samantha has joined us earlier, but she may come back. She's going to meet with the mayor. Mayor's coming down. The question is, what does the mayor do when we've already cut budgets for housing? We see the, the uh, uh, Michael Beatty development uh, team coming in to kind of take over Perkins Homes, um, that uh, homelessness is real, and so is the, the, the greater reality is that there are tens of thousands, and the exact number is 92,000, I think, households in Baltimore that don't know which, well, what, how they're going to pay their rent or food, what comes next. Uh, those are the folks who are constantly moving from place to place, sharing places to live. So, I mean, wh- where, do you, where is this going? Wh- where do you all think, what do you think the answer to this is? I mean, so one thing that Block is, is focused on, at least with, with this effort, is um, following in step with what, the folks living with homelessness and living in that shelter are feeling. And so if they're feeling that there's <clears throat> a sense of optimism around the fact that, you know, no, it's not permanent housing that, and that was the you know initial demand. It's not that right now it's this transitional pilot program, but the fact that it's fully run in that building by the people taking shelter there is what's giving them a degree of hope that maybe we're moving in the right direction, at least on this program. Um, I personally am by no means an expert on homelessness. I'm going to put that out there. Um, but it seems like from what I'm hearing from people that have been doing this work, um, that this sort of shelter autonomy is a leap forward and t- you know, relative to, you know, the sort of shelter prison feel of, you know, other other. Uh, so let me before I come oh, back, back over to you, to, let me go to Jeff for just a moment, just to get a little historical perspective and come back to 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 Kenneth to talk about what where you think this might go as a movement. I mean, there was a time in the 80s, if I remember correctly, when the homeless union actually seized property. Talk a bit about that story. Yes, 1984, when we began to organize the Baltimore Homeless Union, um, our first act on Thanksgiving is to take over a very large school building right behind the Department of Social Services, and we put a lot of families into the building, and we ran it similar to what's happening at Pender Hughes, and then moved the families into HUD foreclosed houses and negotiated with HUD to take those houses. And that worked pretty well um, for a year or two, but it kind of, you know, fell apart as um, people's lives change and resources are difficult to find. And the, the next similar kind of event was in 1992 when we took over a fire station at the corner of Utah and Center Street. Right. And that became a self-managed, autonomous, uh, homeless site. And people, there were about 60 people that lived there and ran it. And what came out of that was United Workers. Because most of the folks who stayed there were also doing day labor or night labor at 
the stadiums. And they were, of course, terribly exploited at the stadium. So we helped them organize this union to increase work, uh, their wages and improve the working conditions at the stadium. And that, that worked pretty well until, again, um, some of the energy for it got diverted into other areas and it became a regular shelter that the people who live there no longer ran. But United Workers, you know, has done a lot of good work. So I would count that as a sort of success. What didn't happen in either case was a whole new set of policies around affordable housing. The city doesn't want affordable housing here because for 40 years their actual goal has been to force poor people out of the city. Where they would go, they don't care. But they've had housing commissioners like a gentleman named Henson who said at a city council meeting you know, 30 years ago, yeah, what we want to do is reduce the number of poor people in Baltimore. And to do that, we're going to reduce the supply of affordable housing. So consciously or sub sort of secretly, that's been their plan. And they've torn down public housing and they've given enormous subsidies to wealthy developers to build more housing for rich people but there's no city plan to increase the supply of affordable housing. And that's what's so exciting about this new movement. So, yeah, Ken, so jump in on with that. I mean, so, so, so we now have, you know, Samantha Smith waiting for the mayor to show up as we're doing this taping for this podcast. Um, and what you expect out of those things. I mean, you know, and, and what your next moves might be. I echo Jeff's sentiments um, that affordable housing and a true housing first policy for all of Baltimore City is where we need to go. It, it requires a shift in mindset, a shift in ideology, and also trusting homeless people that they can fully run things themselves, that they are, they have skills, they have assets, and because of you know, whatever happened in their life, they, they just haven't, they fell into a bad situation, but they're still skilled in assets and they can still hold jobs and, and maintain houses and be productive members of society. That entire shift in mindset is, is what should be coming from this movement. And I can say that I'm committed to make sure that a, one program mm-hmm. or one organization is not the result of this, as in we have to shift policies and procedures that impact all of Baltimore City because this pilot program, there's 55 individuals that are within this, this program, but there's a, a, whole, there's a host of other homeless individuals who are currently not being helped by that. And that I think about that all of the time as in there's still more work to be done. And, and everything that Jeff said is where we must shift in order to make sure that Tent City is not just a asterisk in history. It's something that transfers the mindset of Baltimore City for generations to come. And it doesn't, doesn't remain. I mean, what happens, I think, a lot in history is that with, with um, city institutions is we never get beyond the pilot program. There's always pilot programs because we don't know. Rather than doing like a massive change, there's a pilot program, and then things just limp along forever. What I can say is just being there for the the 10 days, the energy that was there from the people on the ground, they all had the sense of now is going to be different. And I I think the opportunity is there um, to make sure that this is not just a moment and that we continue to, to fight and we continue to fight beyond ourselves. So even if the individuals there, all 55, get houses, we know that there's still more work to be done. So tell me, uh, give us a sense, our listeners a sense, of what it was like for you and others to live in the tent city. Samantha had to run off to this meeting, so I wanted to hear her thoughts as well, but we'll do that in another time. But what was it like for you to talk a bit about the feeling that was there then? It's absolutely beautiful. 
absolutely beautiful. The sense of community, the sense of family that was built there. These were, um, there was people there that, that knew each other before Tin City, but there was a lot of individuals there that never met each other. On day one, people were talking, they were having fun, they were enjoying themselves, and they had this, this sense of hope that you could just fill in the air. And every day that it was there, just to watch the people start to organize themselves. The, the homeless community, they built their own committees. They said, okay, we need to we need to create this type of community. We need to make sure that we have these type of resources. And to see everybody work together to do something special was, was absolutely amazing. The air there, even if there was a small disagreement, small argument, everyone knew that there's a bigger goal that we were, that we were fighting for. And just to be a part of that, I, I, I think it was absolutely special. And also to see people pouring in with water, with food, with clothes, with just stopping by to, to see and take a part of it, take pictures, that was absolutely amazing. It was, it was a, a beautiful experience. Were you living there too, Zach? So I was not actually staying on the grounds, but I would, you know, I would come through around six o'clock after work every day and, and stay there until about one, two a.m. You know, in the event that police would show up or something along those lines, so that we would have a presence there to, to, to sort of intercept that. Um, but no, that's that's one thing that that struck every member of Block being down there was <clears throat> just, you know, how do I explain it best? Um, basically, what, what, what Kenny was saying is that we, the, 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 the degree of just uh, autonomy and, and, and committee building and, and organization, and, you know, there, was, there were moments where, you know, they would have, there were these meetings with the mayor, and they would come back out, and as a full community in a circle passing around a water bottle to say who was going to speak next would just discuss how they felt. And there was not this top-down enforcement. It was, how do we feel? Let's pass it around. And it got heated at points because it's a very heated issue. Um, but ultimately, everything that happened from that point on, even though it may not have been the exact demands that people wanted, um, you know, everybody obviously wanted housing first at, at that moment. Um, and that wasn't provided, but at least there was, um, you know, every member of that community got a chance to speak on it. And where it's moving now is, in a sense, a result of, of, of those folks um, collect collectively deciding how this future was going to play out, even though they are still dealing with, you know, uh, uh, the city's protocols on some level. How many days were you there? Ten days. Ten days. So, 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 what do you, do you have an, an idea of what next steps are for this organizing group that that's that that organized Ten City and the people in it beyond uh, this kind of temporary pilot program that might house fifty five people? Is it fifty five people that give house? Um, I mean, what are your next steps? Well, the the first step is to make sure that this original fifty five make sure they get they get housing and make sure that we can duplicate it and. If people are not getting houses, then that's where we would have to reevaluate our positions and see if any further actions or if any further steps are needed. Jeff, I, well, let, I have a question, sort of. A question, good. Let's round out this thing. Addressed to the city, because I I have some sense of what you all mean by a pilot program by Housing First, right? Um, empowering uh, de- democratically uh, a group of people experiencing homelessness to achieve their goals and create some more justice. But what does the city mean by a pilot program and housing first? Do, 
that was an original point of contention where what does housing first mean from our standpoint housing first means if you're if currently experiencing homelessness we put you in a house first and then we can build the services around it Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that they they, the individual get what they need from the city's standpoint i'm not not pointing to any one individual um, but some feel that they're already doing housing first well, you know, they officially adopted Housing First as the city's homelessness policy in 2007. And actually beginning in about 82, we began to do Housing First through the Baltimore Homeless Union and even through the Department of Social Services Homeless Unit. That was our method of operation, find, you know, to go out and do outreach, find people on the street, put them in housing, but didn't get much cooperation from the city. So putting someone in housing means being able to pay for it. Right, and uh, that's an average of let's say a thousand dollars a month. That doesn't just fall from the sky. Uh, there are public housing units, but they're full a hundred percent of the time, except the ones they allow to decay and aren't habitable, and that's way too many. Then the, they get federal dollars for the famous program called Section Eight, which pays landlords uh, to to house poor people, and the poor folks pay thirty percent of their income, and the federal government pays the rest. There's a limited number of those vouchers, and they're not getting any new ones, of course. So I'm curious as to what the city thinks they're going to use to house these 55 folks. Are they going to put them into public housing? Are they going to give them Section 8 certificates or VA VASH vouchers if they're veterans? Or what are they going to do? To that point, um, there are resources. At the, at the end, of, resources are needed in order to make this a reality. And what I can say and what was encouraging to the the people of Tin City was that that initial request of making sure there are resources available, steps were made in order to make sure that resources were there. And so uh, there's still more growth that the city needs to do in order to meet the real grassroots explanation. Um, and hopefully through this, we can mend those barriers. But we're, but again, it's a, it's a trust and verify <laughs> process, as in we, we understand rhetoric we understand mm-hmm. good intentions, uh, but at the end of the day, this is something that we can evaluate based off of numbers. Sure. How many people are homeless? How many people were placed in houses? How many units are available for affordable housing? And, and so we can, we can measure where we are beyond rhetoric. So I, I'm very interested to watch this and see and be part of it as well to see where this movement builds and where it goes. Um, just as uh, someone who was in this kind of movement earlier in the 70s and 80s, but also someone who lived in Resurrection City in 1968, um, at least you uh, were not thrown out with tear gas on the last day, um, which is a good thing. I mean, I don't want to see anybody hurt, but I think this is, it was a very powerful statement to have uh, homeless people and supporters living in tents in front of City Hall may have to happen again. Um, and, um, and maybe more actions may have to happen again just to ensure that we're finally going to have a city where people have homes to live in and communities to dwell in. So I want to, I, thank you all for coming by. It was great to have Samantha Smith on earlier, who's elected by the residents of this 10 city mm-hmm. uh, to be their leader and spokesperson. Uh, and also here in the studio is Kenneth Gui, who is the SCLC president in Baltimore and one of the main 10 city organizers. Uh, Zach Swagel is a member of the Baltimore Block Collective who are supporting this 10 city. And Jeff Singer, founder of Healthcare for the Homeless, who has been a homeless and housing uh, advocate and advocate for the poor and ending poverty in the city for a decade. So it's good to have the four of you with us here on this podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. 
And this is Mark Steiner, folks. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. The show is produced and edited by Calvin Perry. Uh, you can download it at steinershow.org or from your favorite podcasting app. Let your friends know. And let us know what you think. Write me directly at mark, M-E-R-C, at steiner, S-T-E-I-N-E-R, show.org. Mark at steinershow.org. And we'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new podcast. <laughs>